0: welcome aboard the battleship Retention. i am tyler smith i'm david back and thank you for listening david yes how you doing i'm so excited day number 4 day number 4 in a row yeah. people have uh, been
1: uh lucky enough to be blessed by our voices uh and those <laughs> of our um good friends of the show mm-hmm. um special well, thanks to scott
0: and jason are that the was, ones yeah that, that guess, was the right? most
1: recent we're recording these all out of order if you can yeah. uh uh, tell in way in advance but okay tyler you've been telling the the story of this week at the, the beginning. story of us david <laughs> the story of us this is us yes um whatever night on whatever network we are um, your friends uh,
0: <laughs> yeah a, oh yeah
1: yeah oh well yeah. we'll talk to one of our guests about that oh one. will we uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> because i believe she was a big fan
0: oh okay um although, uh, although I guess it didn't stay Oh, I'm her allowed head. to be here no yeah. sure Hello. yeah okay we'll g- we'll get back to that <laughs> yeah um, okay so so, what's so you just w-
2: get to insult me and I have to be quiet
0: all right cool <laughs> maybe it's not an insult I, I don't think it as an insult, this I is, just is all to new your, to me your point uh, of view. so okay so every day this week, we are uh, kind of tracing the 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 history of battleship pretension and of and of uh our our story as podcasters and film critics, and so uh today represents uh the decision that that we made both individually and together several years ago uh probably in okay 2000- I, I know, know that for, me-, for me it was in 2008 um and it was probably around the same time for you where we decided like okay hey this uh film criticism thing is actually quite uh rewarding and uh let's uh, pursue that like for me it's when i when i put aside any notions of like screenwriting and it's like this okay. is what i want to do oh i see um and so, and then probably, I definitely a f- have a different path. Okay. But we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, we don't want to
1: make our guests stay quiet while I ruminate about my career choices. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounds really dark. Uh, when you put it that way,
1: uh, no, I'm actually very happy with my career. That's right now. Right, yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, some of us are going back to school because, uh, you know, well, listeners know I'm a photo <laughs> editor and I can't just can't keep taking moles off of people for a, for a living. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, we started taking it seriously. And then in 2000, I think early 2011 is when we first started going to screenings. I remember in 2010 is when we stopped doing like our live comedy shows. Like we pushed that that more to the side uh, and tried to de- we decided that we wanted people to take us more seriously as
1: critics as opposed to. we were like, well, we've been the two white guys talking that every other podcast is for four years now. Yeah. Um, let's try to have an identity as critics. Yeah, that's what we did in 2011. Yes, and so how does that get us to today?
0: Well, uh, to represent our uh, serious foray into film criticism, uh, I decided I, I figured that we should um, start having some, critics have some actual critics <laughs> uh, who do so this sure for a living. Can rub off on <laughs> <us>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe we can. Uh, we, we're just going to uh, grill them about their secrets. Uh, how do you get to do this for a living? Um, but yeah, so we have from Vox. Uh, Todd Vanderwerf Hello And from MTV Super hip Amy Nicholson
2: Thank you for thinking MTV is hip I appreciate it <laughs> yeah, We're I trying I
0: haven't watched MTV in a while I don't know what it is anymore We're cool You were cool Okay, alright <laughs> So not hip, but cool Yeah, I mean, it seems like MTV's cool now, I guess. Exactly. It's a little bit cooler since they hired this new film critic. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, like, the 50 other people I work with who are badass. Like, if music critics who love Molly Lambert. We got Molly Lambert. We got everybody. We got all
1: the cool people. Yeah. Um, All right. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was going to say something uh, that I shouldn't say. Every time I get a second Um, to
2: be like, we're awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, But I, I mentioned, he said, we're your friends. You liked that movie, as I recall, on the uh, now-defunct Village Voice podcast.
2: Yeah, with Alan and Stephanie, and you're talking about the Zac Efron DJ movie. Yes, you
1: defended that movie. You know, in one of the maybe the last episode of that podcast, <laughs> that might have been with yeah, you. Yeah, maybe let's uh, connect. Literally, with that like the it. hill you died on.
2: Yeah, was
3: Zach <laughs> the, Efron's great in
2: it. Mike drop. No. no, it's a really, really dumb movie, but mm. it is a fantastically dumb movie. Like there is a moment at the end where you see Zach Efron through the ups and downs of becoming a superstar DJ here in the Valley of L.A. And I feel like that movie. Have you guys seen it? Or are you no, making no. no.
4: I haven't seen it. I, that's why I'm that. Guys, of you. Todd, I've seen it. Yes, I'm not as enthusiastic, but <laughs> I have seen it.
2: Yeah. I feel like. it capture something about living in the valley and, like, crossing a hill and, you know, the ambitions of people who live out here and, like, how hard you work and, how, like, how you want to make dreams possible and what do you do, especially when you grow up out here in the valley and, like, you live so close to Hollywood. And it has this moment at the end where he has... A DJ track that he's made, and it's all composed of sounds of the valley, like the buzzing of the electric wires and Mm -hmm. the train going by, and just like the noise he grew up with, where he's learning to make his own music from his world and not just borrow other people's samples. And it's dumb as hell, but it is so pretty.
0: (laughs) I I almost
2: teared up. You're just like, yeah, yeah, we make art out of our world.
0: I feel like, for me, the sound of the valley is just like the sound of Target. (laughs) <laughs> like what what does target sound like? That's what the valley sounds like. Think about like.
2: how cool you could remix those wheels <laughs> that like clatter 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 into into a dance
4: beat. As, sure, absolutely.
1: Uh that's I don't know. I I I have come to love the valley. Todd, you're a, uh you're a
4: I live downtown, Yeah, you're like the effete hipster I am. Um, But no, I I, I don't come up here very often. You know, my sound of the valley is just people honking as I try to merge. (laughs) They're in my way, and I don't know they're there.
1: Um, Yeah, I lived, when I moved to Los Angeles, I lived in Hollywood for five years. Um, And then uh, it was, I moved in with my then girlfriend, now wife, into the place we live now. And she lived in North Hollywood, where I live. Um, And I was so nervous about, like, I had always the valley was always just something else and I didn't really like going up there or I would have to go up there. Uh, uh, And now I, I, I I love it. I was driving around um, Sun Valley yesterday um, uh, and I was like, and it's these huge, like uh, I don't even know what it is. It's it's like, they got things digging stone out of the ground and dirt out of the ground. It's like manufacturing and industry. And I was like, I'm still in the city of Los Angeles. Like this is, uh, this is a fascinating part of, of this city when I, I like was, Sun Valley a lot
0: when I was looking for uh, a house Jen and I looked in Sun Valley and uh we <laughs> went drove down this street and as we got out of our car uh chickens were uh,
1: running awesome. around
0: that's awesome and I was just like I don't I, I had that thought like We're in the city, right? Like when I lived in Missouri, this is, you know, I could see this. Yeah, and it's
2: only a 15 minute drive from Echo Park when there's no traffic, which is crazy. A friend of mine and I went to Sun Valley on like a Sunday vacation day. Mm -hmm. And we drove up there and we went into a diner and we both had like eggs and pancakes and a side of melon and coffee and this huge breakfast for $20 flat with tip. And we were like, what is happening? (laughs) And I went thrift store shopping and I found the best like corduroys ever. And I was like, I love Sun Valley, I want to come here all the time.
3: Yeah,
1: I love it. Uh, it's where I, I go up there every month or so to pick up uh, pet supplies because there's uh, an awesome uh, warehouse cash only pet supply place called Henco that has everything you could ever want, and that's that's my pl- my place to go to get stuff. Do to they pets. have
0: cat food?
1: Yeah. Okay. That's, no, it's yeah, and a you pet can buy it. Okay. No <laughs> <cats>. <laughs> I, I. And that's where I go. You, I buy it in bulk. That's why I only have to go mm. there once in a while. Uh, Good point. Yeah. Uh, anyway, how
2: much cat food are we talking about? Like just visually?
1: Uh, just the, the the big bag, like.
4: It's, it's taller than you.
0: I'm uh, no. so, picturing like
2: a Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you just throw, you, he just throws his cat in this bin and just lets it eat until it's done. That would be awesome. So, I feel like, do cats know when to stop eating? Yeah. yeah. That's the yeah, thing okay. about cats. That's
1: why
4: you can free feed them. Yeah, We like, okay. yeah, We free feed our cats. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, my, they don't know when to stop, but they do okay. know when to stop. Because my, my cat,
0: Charlie, got super fat when we got him. And our vet hypothesized that because of the the way that we got him, we got him from a not super nice uh, neighbor at our building in Chicago who had like six other cats. And he said that, well, maybe... Charlie is not used to getting enough food and so just sort of figures, like, I'm just going to eat until I literally am going to burst because I don't know when I'm going to get the chance again. And so I was like, alright, that's acceptable, but at some point he's going to stop doing that, right, because he's gained two pounds, which for a cat is a big deal. And uh, and maybe, he seems to have calmed maybe, down Maybe you bit. need more mirrors that go all the way down to the floor. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Because <laughs> so he carries most of his so fat in his paws. <laughs> it's really disturbing. I mean, I
2: feel really guilty that now we're turning into the cat show, but I got my very big 18 pound Cat. Oh, wow. a main cone, so it's mainly muscle. But I got him that ball where you put the food inside of it, and he has to roll it around to figure out how to get food out. And you oh, can wow. make it small, so it's really hard for him. And uh, that's the only way he eats now. He, like, complained about it for a week and pretended he didn't understand, but now he's like, yes! And he gets to run around and bat this ball. And it's messy as hell, because he, like... Sure. I think he's... I think he's blind, maybe? Because he'll, like, <laughs> knock it around, and, like, if he doesn't immediately eat it, he never sees the food again. But... He has so much more energy. It
0: feels like you could probably get that checked, right, if he's actually blind or not?
2: He might just be dumb. Oh, okay, he's
1: yeah. very dumb. Yeah, my cat's pretty dumb. That's it. Actually, yeah. I think my, um, we think that my dog has become deaf. He wasn't, didn't mm. used to be, but uh, recent, yeah, uh, recent behavior makes me think, makes us both think. That he's uh, he just ignoring yeah. him. <laughs> maybe that's what it is, is he's just being really stubborn. But, uh, yeah, he doesn't, like, he used to, if i were home and my wife were like walking up the stairs he would like perk up and now like we can come home and he'll be on the couch and unless he's looking at us he doesn't even seem to realize that we've come home um,
4: but then maybe, maybe, he's just old and in, isn't as into us anymore. Yeah. Uh, Amy apologizes for making this the cat show. I say, let's make yes. this the cat show. I do okay. love the idea. Genuinely that it's like,
0: let's get some, some professional film critics on the show and just talk cats for an hour because that's because with our 500th episode, we really want to just drive all of our audience away. Uh, and just, just a,
4: a big bait and switch is how we do things here. Um, Let's not do that. Actually. Okay. But you have cats. I have too many cats. Yeah. Yes, I have too many cats. I Hang thought on, you so.
2: meant two small cats.
3: We have many cats.
4: <laughs> we have. We have. We, no, no, no. We, we two. Uh, a great number of okay, cats. Okay, got it. Right. My house is overrun with cats. Okay. So yeah.
1: All right. Um, but I just thought of a, 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 something, that I, Todd, that I wanted to to ask you about. The, I think I believe the last time that I saw you was when we were both at a screening of My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. Mm-hmm. We uh, ended up uh, having to sit next to each other. And I talked about this moment on the podcast because the movie was not very good. I don't know if you agree with me on that. I didn't think it was very good. <laughs> not really, no. Um, there was a joke in it that I don't know if it was supposed to be funny. And I laughed like I, I laughed my head off in the movie and I remember talking on the podcast. I was like, I wonder what if Todd noticed that I lost my (laughs) mind at this really dumb moment. Do you remember the one Was it? It's, and this is why I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but it's when they're talking to, um, the, the mom it's on the, 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 the wedding day, the, the, the parents re-wedding. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And they're talking to her, the, all the old Greek ladies are talking to, uh, it's Lainey Kazan. Is that who it is? Um, mm-hmm. via like Skype on like an iPad. Right. And then she's like, you guys got to get over here. So they all go to run out. And the last one grabs the iPad and presses her face all the way up against the iPad and screams, we're coming. And it made me laugh so hard. Cause I don't know. I don't understand what the joke is mm-hmm. there. Like, is the joke supposed to be that she doesn't get how Skype works? But then we've seen her using the iPad and using Skype for the entire scene up to then. So why would she suddenly forget? Or is it just this woman going insane for half a second and screaming <laughs> at an iPad? And it was so funny to me that I that I that I lost it. And uh so I uh, clearly it didn't make much of an impression on I you. I
4: did not notice you losing it. No. Okay. I mean, but but um That, I think, is the central tenet of the Neo Vardalos uh, cinematic (laughs) move, if you will. Uh, She really likes, understands what old people like to laugh at about themselves <laughs> uh-huh. and has made a lot of money doing that. So um no I, I, not to you know talk about my big fat Greek wedding too anymore, but uh, I I we talked about We come as friends <laughs> or whatever it's called. I think it came out <laughs> we the come same <laughs> <laughs> I think it came out the same weekend as Batman v Superman maybe and I liked oh. it much better than that. So That's, sure uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: I actually didn't see Batman v Superman. See I'm this is I, I I'm on I'm on the cusp of where I am a I have a career as we talked about, and I am, as we like to say, semi professional film critic um on the side. But what that means is I don't have to see everything. Right. And so uh and also Warner Brothers has never particularly looked uh fondly at Battleship Pretension. So but you know um, what?
0: Battleship Pretension hasn't looked fondly on Warner Brothers for a while. <laughs> so I think it's
1: fine. I loved uh, Cloud Atlas. I know you did. Um, Stop talking about it, please. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I, I think I have
1: been trying to find a way to bring up Cloud Atlas in every single episode recently. That
2: was a long time ago. Uh,
1: but it's still that good. There has It's not like there's been some other Cloud Atlas type movie that's come along since and knocked it out of my consciousness. It's still, cloud, it's still the only Cloud Atlas that there is.
4: I mean, none of us have seen Storks. It could be Storks. That's yeah. true. That's true. I did uh, see
0: uh, when we did our, our fall movie preview and, you know, we go through and we talk about every movie that's coming out. And sometimes we only devote like 30 seconds, sometimes like you know, several minutes. Uh, we got to Storks, and there was about two seconds of pause, and then we moved on. We didn't actually, we just said the title and then moved on. And then when it came out, I looked at some of the reviews, and I got like Bs, like Bs and B pluses, which, but it it, it definitely seemed to be kind of rooted in this idea that it's great. If you have kids, it's not one of those kids movies that will, that adults can enjoy. So like only if, if it, it, you could do worse if you have children. And so I was just like, okay, so I don't have kids. I do have cats, but they don't like movies. They're more sports cats. And so, uh, so I was like, I guess I don't need to see storks, but, uh, I stand corrected. Apparently storks warranted some Worth talk your time. from us. Okay.
2: Okay, well, to tie these two threads together... Oh,
0: please. We only have two threads right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that reaction to Storks is the reaction that should have been given to Nine Lives, the talking cat movie. Mm. Because that is... Clearly, it is not hiding it in idiotic premise for kids. And critics went into it so mad. like Mm -hmm. They just went into Nine Lives being like, this is so dumb. And it's like, well, yes, this is dumb. It is a movie where Kevin Spacey becomes a cat. And it is a very funny movie about Kevin Spacey becoming a cat.
1: But the critics who saw Nine Lives had to go pay to see it, right? Because they didn't screen it. I think that makes critics mad. I think they go in with a chip on their shoulder when they have to do that.
2: I think it does, but I... Gave that movie afresh, and I will stand by it. Because there is a scene where Kevin Spacey, as a cat, needs a drink because he's very upset at being a cat. So he goes into his office, and he like spends a really long time trying to open up a crystal decanter of expensive scotch with his paws. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's forever. It takes forever, and it's so funny. And then he finally pours it into an ashtray and licks it out of an ashtray and then gets really drunk. And then the cat... Wanders around and, like, keeps running into, like, a, a trash can. Uh-huh. It is so stupid. And I had the best time laughing at it. <laughs> and my entire theater was laughing at it, inc- including, including, including these things that are rotten.
1: That's, I, I feel like we've stumbled on uh, a little thick here, which is um, movies that the other critics don't like and you feel like you need to go to bat for. Um, Right now I'm feeling very strongly that people um, need to uh, give a second chance to The Dressmaker. I think it's a terrific movie that I think about half of the people are completely dismissing and mocking uh, because it is grotesquely over the top and ridiculous. But it's I don't know. Have you guys seen The Dressmaker yet? No.
2: Yeah, I have. I wasn't even going to watch it because I was like. Oh, Kate Winslet, the dressmaker, a woman, her sick mom, Australia. And I just thought it was going to be the most boring movie ever. And
1: that's the trailer. That's what. That's the, the movie they're selling, sadly.
2: That's insane.
0: Yeah. Do you and think they're actively a- trying to, like, do you think they're trying to be like... Uh, delightfully trick you as if to say, Oh, here's a stodgy, boring thing. Aha. we it's, it's so much more interesting. I don't think marketers work like that. I don't think that's a solid market. I'm thinking, ter- I was talking about Blair, Witch recently I was yeah. thinking about that, you know, where, cause the dressmaker play at comic con, right? And then they <laughs> sure, revealed what sure, it really yeah. was. Um,
1: no, sorry, you, you liked it? or
2: I really did. I mean, it's its own weird, weird, weird tone, but I think we don't, we're don't we not used to that loud, strange, bizarre, soap opera, crazy tone yep. that much in movies, unless it's a horror film. But she right. shows up and she puts her sewing machine down and she's like, I'm back, you bastards. Oh, yeah. And that's the first line <laughs> in the movie. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever you are, I am on board.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, the, the director described it as unforgiven with a sewing machine, but I think... Um, I I think it's more like Django Unchained with a sewing machine. It has that more, uh, it, that more. It's more heightened. Unforgiven is a you know, it's fairly straightforward. Uh, it's, yeah, straightforward ground level movie. It's it's heightened like Django Unchained, um, and uh, I think it's terrific. And I think the 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 like European posters for the movie that have the, the her with the cigarette in hand and the the town in flames behind her like that's much more capturing the feel of what the movie is. So. Uh, don't pay attention to the dumb trailer for the dressmaker. Go see the dressmaker. That's <laughs> what I'm going to bat for. Um, what have you guys recently felt that you had to go to bat for? Besides my big bad Greek writing,
4: too. <laughs> uh, over the summer, I I liked Warcraft quite a bit, and that was one that people were not so enthusiastic about. It was obviously cut down from a much longer film. Like there was stuff that didn't make any sense whatsoever, mm-hmm. but. Um, I really respected sort of the imagination and ambition and the willingness to make all of the characters um, have equal sorts of levels of, of thoughtfulness, you know, to really sort of delve into who they were in an empathetic way. And like, yeah, it's not the best movie in the world, but if they made a second one, I would see it.
1: Do you find yourself like, like you just said, it's not the best movie in the world, but do you find yourself like, rounding your opinion up because of how many people um uh, are 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 dismissing the movie
4: I don't you know I don't think so I certainly will acknowledge that there are a lot of problems with it and if it didn't work for you that's fine but I also think that like sort of the reasons people write it off for which is like you need to be a fan of the video game or whatever like most of the people I know who really enjoyed it or enjoyed it even more than me are not like video game players it's just like Duncan Jones' uh, direction uh, and the script, and some of the you know motion capture performances, like are I think really well done. And maybe it had too much going on, but whatever. That's that kind of-
1: reminds me of another <clears throat> real quick another movie that I like to always talk about, and this one's ten years old at this point, more than ten years old. But um, the movie Constantine is a movie that I that I love, but that I think. Being familiar with the Hellblazer comics is uh, an impediment to liking the movie. The movie works better if you don't know the source material uh, at all because it's a a very bad adaptation of a comic book that is – a good movie on its own.
2: Yeah, and I, I want to get Todd's back on this. I liked Warcraft a lot. I've never played a second of the game. I had no idea what it was about. And as I'm walking into the premiere there's like people dressed as orcs and humans asking me what side I'm on and I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and then I really love or- the main orc couple. Like the husband mm-hmm. and the wife and their kid. And then at the end when all of these threads are coming together and there's this huge battle and people are like Shifting allegiances and dying and getting hurt I was really into it I was just like right there Mm -hmm. I
0: I really I'm not sure if I'd say I really liked the movie But I I certainly liked it more than most And you know you said like it's ambitious And if the film fails And I don't think it does uh, At least not completely If the film fails It's not for lack of trying Like they were clearly like Everyone was really putting in a lot of effort And and yeah i haven't played a single second of it so uh, the the screening that I went to um, you know there'd be something on screen, and then I'd hear some some recognition laughter over here. I'm like, all right, I guess that's from the game and uh, so that one's not for me let's just keep going but like they they develop a lot of the characters, and I remember being kind of impressed that they kill off as many characters as yeah. they do mm-hmm. uh, they they crafted a really effective villain, and when the film did poorly in the u.s i remember being like you know i'm kind of bummed about this because yes i recognize it's based on pre-existing property and all that sort of thing but like I-, I would be interested to see if there's if they make another one and then when i saw that it made crazy money in china i thought they're gonna make another one which means i get to see another one. Oh boy hmm. How, but it's it's far from a perfect film but i remember just everybody was totally committed to that movie which is which I don't think anybody was requiring of a Warcraft mo- movie.
1: <laughs> so uh, the official Battleship Retention line is Warcraft is good. Yeah. I represent the silent majority of filmgoers who didn't see Warcraft.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs>
2: <absolutely>. <laughs> All right. Well, let me see if I can go one more step further. Am I the only one in here who liked <laughs> Gods of Egypt?
0: I didn't see it. I didn't see it, but I'm Facebook yeah. friends with the uh, director, and uh, he doesn't like people at this table. <laughs> Uh, it would appear uh, he's very outspoken about critics. He might like you because you liked his movie, but boy, oh boy, he's
4: a uh, not a pleasant person.
2: So wait, I'm the only one who saw Gods of Egypt. I've heard,
4: but I've heard a curious number of like critics I really like and respect were like that movie's better than its reputation was.
2: Yeah, I'm, like I'm coming sure out it's... of it, I think like only me and Manola were sticking up for it that first week, and I was like, whenever Manola's on my side, she also liked Warcraft. I was like, all right, all right, I'm not
1: alone
0: in the wilderness. <laughs> but it is
2: so fun. It is so fun.
0: But how much, you know, not to get uh, overtly political or anything like that, but a lot of the criticism that I heard level at the film was like the whitewashing of of the film. And I think the director, you know, as much as I might uh, make fun of his tone, he definitely seemed to be coming from a place of defense and not a purely artistic defense, but like a defense of personal choices he made. In the face of like a, a, one could say political correctness or whatever it is, or a requirement like, no, 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 you need to have actors that, you know, of this nationality or whatever. And and he seemed almost, not flabbergasted, but he seemed almost like, in Australia, we don't require this kind of thing uh, the way the U.S. seems to and the way critics seem to. And so I wonder how much of the negativity uh, towards the film was rooted whether... Consciously or unconsciously, in that because that does seem to be a big conversation these days. Well,
2: I think the answer to that's a little tricky. You know, like we had that fight on about another Egyptian movie the year before about Exodus, yeah. which Exodus kind of swaggers in being like we are biblical and therefore we're quasi-historical, even though like that part of the Bible isn't really true, and it's the movie is definitely not even true to the Bible, and it's like several layers removed from anything that might actually resemble no. history. Like there was never actually a mass exodus out of Egypt, but um, on any on any historical level that they've been able to find. But I think because that had the swagger of truth to it, people were holding it to a standard. Like we don't want to see Christian Bale playing Egyptian
3: there. Right.
2: Gods of Egypt is not so much even whitewashed, it's like it's like blue washed. I mean, these are gods who are supposed to be blue, and they're supposed to be half <laughs> dragon or and half dog. And the director himself was even born in Egypt. And the film has this era of a guy who grew up hearing kind of fairy stories, the way we would think of like Greek gods and goddesses. It feels more like like a Ray Harryhausen epic, then it mm-hmm. feels like Exodus. You know, it doesn't feel like it's trying at all to be history. Yeah, It's camp. It's like very deliberate, high, fantastic camp. And so I also feel like the film doesn't get as much credit for the diversity of its cast anyways. You know, the lead actress, uh, Elodie Young, is amazing. Amazing. I. I can't remember offhand. I believe she's like French Thai, you know, and it's very eclectic and strange. But then you also have Gerard Butler with his Scottish accent being a god. And he's just like, you will burn, you know, and using his absolute burr to the height of its ridiculousness. I don't know. This is a movie where people bleed blood when they're stabbed. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like there are times to have that fight about representation and there are times where it's kind of an asterisk moot point. And I feel like Mm -hmm. this falls into that category for sure.
0: I found myself, uh, and this, this speaks to maybe a certain cynicism on my part, just from a, a box office standpoint and kind of taking the temperature of the modern culture. Um, and I'm sure you guys do the same, that when you see a, a trailer or when you see an announcement of a certain movie and uh, you just think, wait, was, hang on, before I say this, was Gods of Egypt based on something?
2: Um, loosely, there's like a loose story of the god Horus. losing
0: okay. his eyes. Okay, but it's not based on a comic book or anything, right? Oh no, okay. yeah, yeah, And so, and that's, so. and I think that's the thing, is that it's it's to the point now that um, any time a movie that is, rele- uh, is released, especially in the summer, but not exclusively, and it's not based on something that people have heard of already, I just assume it's not going to do well, and... Just because and I and I find myself wondering if movies not based on pre existing properties, and I recognize that obviously there's Avatar, but that came out at Christmas. Um, like during the summer if, if an original movie can do well, and may, and I'm sure I'm th- missing one that uh, one or two that like did great and weren't based on anything specific, but I don't know, it's just as I on my other podcast we've been going back through the, the, the best pictures and talking about that, you know that year and and what did great at the box office and it's just so fascinating that there was a time when like movies for one could say for grown ups that were based on original screenplays were like number one and make, made you know a hundred million dollars and uh, that and it wasn't even that long ago strictly speaking and so I find myself uh, I, guess I, I guess I feel bad about it but at the same time like if this is just the way the wind is blowing then so be it but can you guys think of of movies that did well uh, financially that weren't that are like summer type movies that uh, that weren't based on anything? Uh,
1: the one that leaps to mind for me because we're getting a sequel and some images have leaked um, is John Wick, but that was um, okay. I think that's kind of the the model you have to look at now is movies that are less expensive than your you know Warcrafts and your uh, uh, Marvels and your DC's and all those things um, and that are released on the sort of the fringes of the summer or the or the spring because I think John Wick was like an April release or something like that I can't remember when it initially came out um, fall and Oh it fall was of 2014
4: I think yeah okay
1: mm-hmm. um, and okay so yeah the other side uh, of the of the summer and then the the sequels coming out next February which is usually not you know um, generally not a Historically, not a big time for action movies, but uh, Deadpool obviously cleaned up uh, this this February. Um, so maybe John Wick Two is trying to be this year's Deadpool.
4: Uh,
1: so I'm all for it because John Wick is incredible, and I can't wait to see the.
4: You look at a sequel. movie like that though, and it, it didn't make a ton of money. Like it didn't become. It didn't even become like X Men Apocalypse, which is a movie that nobody remembers or talks about or thinks about now. But like made quite a bit of money, and like this summer was kind of. A really good one for movies that weren't necessarily based on properties, you know, horror movies, kids' films. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that was really good that was in wide release, but the conversation is still so dominated by these franchise films. Yeah. Like, you know, there are far more pieces written about Independence Day Resurgence than Bad Moms, and Bad yeah. Moms made more money than Independence Day Resurgence. Hmm. But like Oh, it did. That's Yeah, awesome. like our film discussion culture, very close, but I think it squeaked it out. Like, um, our film discussion culture is so discussion but you know sort of the headline generation material yeah. is so based around as we were talking about earlier sort of these larger political issues of representation etc or it's based around superhero movie casting mm-hmm. and like those are the two things that we talk about and so you know things like like bad moms or uh, don't breathe or things like that kind of get yeah. L- overlooked
2: yeah I love like when you're I this sounds weird, but I call I call people who aren't critics civilians because they don't have to live in like the mania of watching three or four movies sometimes in a day or five if you're at a film festival, and so I, they they get to choose what they want to see. But I love talking to like civilians, and this summer every time I ask somebody what they saw that they loved, it's almost always been Don't Breathe,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I
2: love it when that happens.
0: I know Tyler was a big fan of The Shallows. I do like The Shallows a lot. I think that clip the the script is clunky as hell, but I think it's gorgeous, and I think that there's. A lot going on there on a metaphorical uh, level and thematic level that I really enjoy. Uh, Stay tuned to More Than One Lesson in a few weeks. The episode's already been recorded but uh, we talk about The Shallows uh, paired with uh, The Descent. I love The Descent. I love it so much. Um, And of course visually the movies couldn't be more different but thematically they're very, very similar. Um, And then I recognize that Nerve was based on a book. Um, But I feel like I think it's based, is it based on only one book as opposed to a series? Yeah, not a series. I feel like that in itself is is uh, an anomaly. That
2: movie was enjoyable. As I hell.
4: really liked that movie. And Did I you feel like, I, I, I like Nerve. I feel like if you get points, if you're based on something people haven't really heard of. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's it, like Nerve as a book is not like. You know, something like Gone Girl, where everybody had read that book.
3: But
2: Todd kind of referred to this. I do feel like you at least see huge blockbuster profits in animated films, like The Secret Life of Pets. Mm -hmm. You know, those are still able to have a completely original script.
0: And yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's original. <laughs> if you haven't original. Yeah, it's
4: original if you haven't seen anything from Pixar in the last uh, be, yeah,
0: Twenty one yeah, years. That would, be, that would
1: give me a headache.
4: I uh, I think about this a lot because I I pr- still primarily write about TV. I write about film mm-hmm. a lot, but like the big story in TV over the summer was Stranger Things, the yeah. Netflix series. And at the same time that Stranger Things was blowing up and driving the online TV content clickbait industry, yeah. like we were having this discussion about why aren't there more original movies? And then people would point at Stranger Things like it was original, but it's like at best original-ish. Yeah, It's like certainly has characters who, you know, have different names from other characters you've seen before, <laughs> but it's very much a remix of familiar elements. And yeah. Uh, I increasingly think that people don't truly want original ideas. they want ideas that are familiar and friendly mm. uh but are you know very close to things that they already know and love or just yeah. maybe five degrees removed.
1: I think that goes back to what Amy was saying about the difference between critics and civilians mm. because people like you guys and to some extent halfway uh me and <laughs> me and Tyler like we see so many movies that we value something surprising us more whereas a civilian to use that term approaches movies in a different way they're you know, this is a, a, a more rare thing for them. They want to know that they're getting what they paid for, you know, they're so the idea of something being a surprise is less uh, of less value to, to someone who only goes to a movie theater five or six times a year.
2: <laughs> it's true. I try to really keep that in mind, you know, that like, I go to a movie all the time for work. I don't have to pay to see movies. And, like, movies are so expensive, just thinking about that choice. You know, like, I I get hesitant about recommending a movie knowing that it costs other people money to go see it. Because I will – it's hard for me sometimes to say don't see a movie even if I don't like it because – The act of not liking it or enjoying what I didn't like about it is so fun. I want other people to experience that, too. Like, go see this movie. See if you hate the same things I do. But I realize (laughs) that doesn't make financial sense for some people.
1: Yeah. It's weird. The the cost of movies especially, um, it's weird that because of things like Arclight and, like, Lemley. Lemley's not that expensive, actually. But, um, like, the Sundance, Sunset, the the Sundance, like... So I'm paying more money for tickets to the smaller movies. Do you know what I mean? And I, I'm happy to do that, but it's um, it, it's weird to recommend a movie. Like I, I, I went and saw uh, Paid to See uh, Miss Stevens, which is one of the best movies of the year. I don't know if you guys have uh, seen it. Um, mm. uh, Lily Rabe star- stars in it uh, as a uh, teacher accompanying uh, some kids on a drama competition what weekend. She's the chaperone. Anyway, um, like I want to tell – I want to use whatever platform I have with this podcast to tell people, like, go see Miss Stevens. This is a movie that, you know uh deserves uh your your money and your time and your attention but it also feels weird that like you're going to pay for two people to see the movie it's going to be $38 or whatever yeah. and this isn't going to be a huge spectacle you know this is a 85 minute movie yeah. you know that mostly takes place in cars and hotel rooms it's people talking to one another it's a great movie but it, it it's uh, it's it's uh, i can't remember where i was going with this but it's a it's a shame that like the most expensive uh, i spend more to see movies that um uh i think I guess that's there's an impediment. I'm saying it's like people have to spend more to see the movies that are delivering less in terms
0: of the things that we think we go to movies for. Well, I there's guess. there's a social quality to movies. You know, I mean, I go and see movies alone a fair amount, uh, but I also know that the people I hang out with, they've probably seen the movie or they're going to see the movie, so I'm going to have a conversation about this eventually. Um, but I think there's there's still. The, the water cooler idea. There's the movie that everybody sees and you want to have seen it too so that you can talk about it with people. And so to pay $38, it's like, hey, I want to pay $38 and only talk to my wife about this for the, from now until the end of time. Uh, and I feel like that's – I feel like that is not a very – for, for civilians or normies as I call them um, I feel like that's not a very appealing prospect
1: uh, but now you've got instead of the water cooler you've got Twitter you've got the universal water sure, cooler yeah. so there are people out there so I can have an experience to stick with Miss Stevens I'm not just going to talk about my wife with it I'm going to tweet about how much I love it and then get favorited, retweeted, and followed by the director, and then have a conversation with the director Ah. over Twitter about the movie she made. Sounds
0: like like someone should uh, try to get that director on the podcast.
4: (laughs) uh, I I saw two movies this weekend. I I finally saw Sully, which I had to miss because of Toronto. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like I paid... I went to the Arclight uh, matinee, and I paid exorbitant amounts, but yeah. it's fine. I like the Arclight. I like to go there. Um, but also, you know, Friday night, my wife and I were both exhausted from a week of work, and we were like, let's just watch something. And we rented uh, The Meddler yeah. on Yeah, damn right, The Meddler. Which was like, money. yeah, it's such a very, you know, we rented it for, you know, I think five bucks. And, like, we got just as much, if not more, enjoyment out of that together, two people watching it, as we would have out yeah. of Sully. And I, I just, I don't... Not to get into you know sort of the economic theory of movie theaters too much, but like I don't know how you can resist that gravity of like oh I can sit on my couch with my loved ones yeah. and watch a movie for a flat fee instead of paying yeah. for ticket. So
2: it's true, and and the silver lining of it is that it makes it more fun to be a critic. I feel like right mm-hmm. now because you know now that I'm writing for like a national outlet. I think five or ten years ago, if there was a tiny independent film I loved, it would be hard to make the argument I should review it because it might only play in three theaters, and then it might be six or seven months before anybody can see it again. And now I feel like that window is shortening and shortening to where people can see something that I loved, maybe even that weekend, maybe they can like, maybe it's like day and date, and that's awesome. I feel like the conversation has totally changed, and what's cool to me about it is not really where we are today, but where we're going to be in five years if hopefully we figure out a way that this also helps small films make money yeah yeah but if that synergy happens where like now the independent community can just see anything anytime like that is exciting because i don't know about you guys but i grew up in a town with one art house theater and before i could drive i couldn't see anything i would like read about stuff in vogue magazine that john powers would write about and never get to see it and then maybe like three years later i'd be at a video store and be like oh yeah i did want to see that at one time and i totally forgot that it existed but that I, was like serendipity.
4: Yeah. I uh, I grew up in a town of 750 people. And we had oh, we, we had like, and this was after I graduated from high school. They opened a one screen movie theater that is st- still open and still operates. Um, but we had to drive a long way to see any movies. And I remember uh, in the late 90s, I was super into seeing uh, Atarunhuat. I think that's how you pronounce that. It's the Inuit film about like the basically, you know, sort of an Inuit Lawrence of Arabia in a lot of ways. And finally, it came to Sioux Falls, the big town in South Dakota, and it was going to be playing for one night only at the university there. And we went to see it, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I went to see it, and the film was put together incorrectly. So, after, like, the first 30 minutes, it just cut out, Hmm. and, like... I was like I'm never going to get to see this movie again and now I can just yeah. go like rent it on yeah. iTunes you know <laughs> yeah. and like that is yeah I think that's really exciting that like if somebody in the middle of nowhere South Dakota wants to see the Inuit Lawrence Arabia, like they can just rent it. It's so yeah. cool.
2: I mean, a part of me misses a little bit that sense of community of like you going to that theater and looking around and who are the other weirdos at this theater and who should I be friends with. Yeah. That was awesome. I missed that just a little bit. <laughs> or a lot. I missed that a lot. But I guess we have that on Twitter.
1: There was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I miss that in, in Chicago, like yeah. going to like like not, yeah, there's the, the big rep screenings that are like, you know, but then there's the ones where the rep screening is like the Music Box Theater is programming, you know, some weird pre-code movies at 11 a.m. on a Sunday, you know, and uh, I would go to these sort of things and always seem to end up with the same group of uh, way older than me people on the bus on the way back. It was like this, there is, there is like this little, uh, this little clan of like uh, old, I don't know if they were retirees or what, but like they were always at these these these
0: old movies, and I would mostly just listen to them talk about movies on the bus. I joined you to see the Scarlet Empress uh, at the music box. It was like a ten or eleven a.m. screening. Yeah, and there was a guy in the corner, an older gentleman with a big beard. Yeah, this
1: is one of the guys. Oh yeah, was at all and, these screenings.
0: And I found myself annoyed at him because during the screening, like there would be moments of not necessarily humor, but moments of. Arch triumph, like you know, where oh the, uh, the Marlene Dietrich has won again. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah, and she says it in a very you know with an arched eyebrow, and um and then he's like oh. I remember being like that is off-putting, and I told you about him later, and you said, "You said ah, he's harmless. It's yeah, fine." He's at, all he's, the, he's at all the screenings.
4: He's, he's enjoying the movie. That's yeah. To me, that's that's okay. I really wish that had been the story of how you two met. Like, you like, who's this guy who's laughing? And then, it's David. Wonderful. Uh,
1: okay, I want to go back to something Todd said earlier about um, the uh, online discussion about movies being driven by certain types of movies, uh, and that's why I really like but also kind of really hate myself for liking the fall movie season so much Mm. because on the one hand i don't want to buy into the idea that awards actually mean that movies are good you know that that winning an award is something that that is a decisive uh signifier that this is a good movie and this is not a good movie but on the other hand we have a few months in front of us where the online discussion about movies is going to be about their merit and about artistic merit and about uh, what movies are great and memorable and deserve to be uh, lauded for that. And I get really excited
4: about that time of the year. Yeah, yeah. I actually like the Oscar race. I don't think that the Oscars signify a movie is good, but I like sort of the strategy and the positioning. Like we're recording this a a week after the first presidential debate and like more than reading about the debate, I like to read about the meta strategy of like how Hillary Clinton sort of set up traps for Donald Trump that he then walked into. Like I find that stuff fascinating and you see that all over the Oscar race. I love like, I love when it backfires. I love when it works. You know, I, I just, I, I like, I like reading about it almost in the sense that some people I think like reading about like, I don't know, sports. So Uh,
1: in this, well, this, Year, I mean, I, I hate to. This is an awful thing, but I, I hate to trivialize it in terms of the Oscar race, but it's really fascinating what's happened to The Birth of a Nation. Yeah. <laughs> like, this was a movie that was the frontrunner for months and months, uh, even though this story already existed when it premiered, um, and yet now has gone to um it's in no one's you know list of front runners for best picture uh i i haven't seen it i missed it at sundance and fox searchlight is has kind of done not a whole lot of press screenings and the ones that i've been offered at least are like in the middle and it's as a guy who has a a job job i can't it's at like 3 p.m on a wednesday yeah i'm not gonna be able to make it and it's time to
2: when there's another major screening like happening i think in enough time that you couldn't make it. Right. So I think a lot of people aren't go has anybody else seen it?
4: I saw it at Toronto. And I, I saw it. it with a crowd of like Toronto, not just critics, but like the, the public. And like that movie plays really well with like a public audience. Like they were all it's it is not a great film by any means. But like it ends very well, and I think that people were like really excited. And like yeah, you know it's it's. Uh, um, I don't even know what to say about it. I, anymore. Don't
2: know. I saw it at Sundance <laughs> after it had been purchased, and after I have to write about it this week—the week that we're recording this podcast—and I've been nervous about it ever since because it's not a good movie. <laughs> you. It's really not. Like, I went to go see it, being like, "All right." You know, we'll see. I really, I had liked Nate Parker's um, film that he had acted in before, that Beyond the Lights. Yep. If anybody yeah. saw it, Beyond the Lights, the movie. movie's amazing. Yeah. So I was like on, I was on Team Parker, you know, before everything. And like, actually, I would say before, I was on Team Nate Parker before I saw the film. And then I was like, oh, this film is awful.
1: This film is, <laughs> tra- like, what's
2: happening? What is this weird mess, delusion we're all... Involved in but Did it, it have
1: to do with the fact that it was in the height of the uh, Oscar, not, the Oscar nominations yeah. coming out, and it being you know all all white actors, and, and then this movie premieres at Sundance like a week yeah. after that?
2: It felt like you weren't allowed to say anything bad about it, you know, like you weren't allowed to say this movie is kind of terrible, or to say, do you realize Fox Searchlight paid seventeen million dollars for this, and I think the highest purchase at Sundance up until that point was only ten million? They almost doubled the highest purchase wow. ever made on a bad film because I think it was in the atmosphere to do so.
4: And Netflix had offered 20 million and like God. Netflix would have done, but like Netflix would not have cared at all about yeah. like any, cause you know, enough people would have watched it to offset whatever they spent. So it's the
0: idea of comparing the Oscar race to the presidential race is something that I, that is, that works really well. The more I've been thinking about it, especially in regards to the birth of a nation, because it's almost just like, come on, you got to vet these guys. Yeah. Like this can't be a front runner without be, without being vetted. Look at, look at these skeletons in his closet. It's like it's just a movie. He's not running the free world or anything like that, <laughs> but there is an element, uh, there's this, you know, earned or not, there is, uh, a lot of, uh, cred associated with, uh, Oscars and with best picture and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and it's seen as respectable and i'm I guess again, to go back to the going through the the best pictures, like this is the thing that I'm thinking about' it's like this is the movie that, for whatever reason, the academy decided we want this movie to represent us this for this whole year, mm-hmm. and you know that's no small thing and so uh so yeah, this story about Nate Parker has been around for a while, and uh, but people were so swept up in you know so many uh things surrounding the movie that the movie could have almost been anything and the person who made it could have been almost anybody and there still would have been a lot of positivity towards it to sort of overcorrect uh or just correct uh you know the last couple of years at the oscars and yeah and i do and the idea of not being able to speak poorly about it the last movie i remember people saying that about or, or, sorry, not nobody said it, but just the tone of it was 12 Years a Slave, which you and I saw at the same screening, and then talked for like 25 minutes afterwards, being like, ah, "That's how are we going to talk about this? Because yeah. I didn't have a positive response, and neither did you. I and... didn't like
2: it either, and I wound up not reviewing it. Luckily, it was assigned to somebody really? else.
0: Yeah, but know.
2: it was. there's a difference between impactful and good, you know? And yeah. certain movies are impactful, but they're not good. Yeah. And... Now I'm going to sound like a Twitter conspiracy theorist. I'm going to sound like an egg. I'm going to sound like an egg right now. (laughs) My dark theory, which is probably untrue, but I get a lot of pleasure out of imagining it is true, is that because the Nate Parker story came from Fox, they tried to get Mm -hmm. in front of it. I feel like that was secret. Have you guys seen The Russian Woodpecker?
3: Yeah. This is like
2: my Russian Woodpecker type of theory, which I can explain in a second for people who haven't seen it. But The Russian Woodpecker is um, a documentary that's great. It's on Netflix right now. It's about um, this very expensive antenna that costs three times what Chernobyl costs. It's in Russia. It was a few miles away from Chernobyl at a place called Chernobyl 2 that was not on any maps. And the theory behind it is that there was about to be an inspection on the Russian woodpecker, this giant satellite, and they were going to find out that it didn't work, this giant antenna. And the Russian government was going to be furious, and the engineers responsible for building the Russian woodpecker were maybe going to be thrown to the gulag, maybe killed. Um, So the theory is that the day before the... Um, Russian woodpecker is going to be inspected, Chernobyl happens. And maybe one of the guys was like, oh, God, I'd better get the heat off me. And let's do this random test in the middle of the night in Chernobyl where only one person is working. And maybe it won't be that bad. Nobody really died at Three Mile Island. And then it all went to hell. To me, my dark theory about 12 years of slavery, I mean, my dark theory about Birth of a Nation is that one of the Fox Searchlight guys was like, Why did we spend $17 million on this? This is a terrible movie. This was a terrible decision. We got really caught up in the moment. Let's figure out how to blame it on something, not me, for overspending on this movie. (laughs) Let's leak this Nate Parker thing. And, you know, maybe we can just say, you know what, it was a tough break. Nate really screwed up. We'll blame it on Nate that I spent too much money.
4: That is... It was obvious also when he went to those interviews, he was not coached at all, Mm -hmm. which, you know, PR would norm. That would be step one. So I buy your theory. I agree. (laughs) Um, Well, now I want to pivot. slightly
2: less crazy. Thank you.
4: Uh, I want to pivot into talking about the Russian woodpecker
1: because I'm remembering now that you said that um, based on your Instagram account. You visited the Russian woodpecker recently. You were in Ukraine last month. Uh, What was that like?
2: It was you, amazing, and
1: you're not obviously not allowed to climb it like the guy does in the movie, right?
2: No, but I did like hold <laughs> to the bar to. And, like swing my feet off the ground, so I felt like I was kind of climbing it. <laughs> yeah, no, we did not know we were going to the Russian Woodpecker. Uh, we were taking a Chernobyl tour because we were in Kiev, and Kiev is the best city in the world, and people should really go there. We had the greatest vacation. Like by the end, my best friend and I were like, we would buy an apartment here, and we would just come all the time. We loved Kiev. But Chernobyl is a two and a half hour bus ride north, and so we took a tour. We're on the way to the tour, our tour guide showed us clips of like Chernobyl diaries, the horror movie about a tour yeah. to Chernobyl where everybody dies. Yeah. We're like, what are you <laughs> doing? But he just took us to the Russian Woodpecker without us knowing we were going to go there. No one else on our bus had seen the Russian Woodpecker except me and my friend Eva, so we lost our minds. We were like, holy shit. This is maybe why Chernobyl happened. We're trying to explain it to people on the bus. No one really knows what we're talking about. Uh, this one girl was like, Well, Wikipedia says that it exploded because and we like, like, Oh, girl, you're dumb. We're not talking
3: to you anymore. <laughs>
0: but we well, freaked there's... out.
2: It was uh, more exciting almost than seeing anything in Chernobyl was seeing the Russian woodpecker, which might have caused it.
0: Yeah. Well, there's no better way to get people to take you seriously than to explain a conspiracy on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That'll really, really hit it home.
2: <laughs> but it was so cool. We got the bus parked, and I like, ran out of the bus and just started running the length of it which I couldn't it was so long and everyone was like why does she care what is happening I
1: was like guys (laughs) well this is the power of movies it makes people care about the Russian (laughs) woodpecker people should yeah go to Netflix and check out the Russian woodpecker it's a cool movie yeah
4: Makes people care about weird satellite dishes in the middle of nowhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that movie, The Dish. Uh, do you remember that from like t- fifteen years ago? That's a good. That's a good movie. Sam Neill and Never Patrick it. Warburton, and it's a perfectly fine uh, little movie. Um, I like it quite a bit. Do you know what it is? No,
2: but perfectly fine is a good endorsement.
0: It is well. I just. I, so I guess what I mean to say is that like it's a good movie. It's not like an, It's not going to shake you to your core or anything like that. It's it's uh, It feels. It almost feels like. Um, like one of those uh, pleasant Hugh Grant English movies from like the mid-90s like the Englishman who went, went up a hill and came down a mountain where it's just like a bunch of a bunch of eccentrics get together and make something happen and everything goes fine That that um, is a
1: subgenre like the British Village movie is a subgenre oh, okay yeah that I uh, spent a lot of time being obsessed with for a while because there's yeah that's that's one of the big ones obviously like uh, Saving Grace is, sure. is a big one and uh, what's the Irish uh, lottery winning one Oh, Waking the Divine. Yeah. Waking the yeah. Divine. There was yeah.
2: that documentary about the village people who buy the racing horse?
1: Oh, right. I didn't see that. It's called yeah. Dark Horse or something. Like something.
2: That? There was like two movies that were both called Dark Horse. I think at the same time.
1: Yeah, and one of them was with Clifton Collins. Uh, um, and uh, what were we talking about? Oh, the village oh, village movies.
0: Yeah. Well, and and the dish. It's I. It, it, I was just, just partial- going to
1: name some more. Oh, sorry. Movies. I was going to go back to this movie because people need to see it. Uh, well, they don't need to see it. Let's see. There's green fingers. Which is the one about the prisoners tending a garden?
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, The Englishman who went up a hill but came down a uh, mountain. Calendar
1: calendar uh, Girls. Yeah. I would say that's. I guess Fulmonte has that as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, And is that the one that that didn't kick it off. Cause like Englishman was like before that. There's
4: kind of an, there's kind of an original one from the early eighties that I'm struggling to remember the name of, but the, it's from the director of the movie Gregory's girl. And I don't remember it, but well, I will, I, I will, well, I'll yeah. Look it up. I'll never see remember. early
0: eighties. Yeah. Are you talking about Gandhi? Yeah. It's that's Gandhi. The, okay, <laughs> it's that's, Gandhi. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, um, no. uh,
1: that's one of the things that people like, cause I w- was into that weird subgenre for a while. Like, um, Hot Fuzz is as much a parody of those kind of movies as yeah. it is a
0: parody of action movies. And there's a lot of Wicker Man in there as well. It's um,
4: uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know if you've heard oh, of okay, it. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cool. This village comes together yeah. to uh,
0: find the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, seriously, though, everybody...
1: Is it a local hero?
0: Yes. That's when oh, there you it? go. A oh, local hero. Oh, okay. 1983. Go. Yeah, Bill Forsyth is the director. I've heard great, great things about that movie. And is that the one... Hang on. <laughs> Who's in that? Who's in Local Hero? Yeah. I don't know. Is, uh,
1: um, it's uh, Burt Lancaster, Peter Rieger.
0: Okay. I believe when asked his favorite movie of all time, I believe Al Gore said Local Hero, which I've not seen the movie, but I knew of it, and I can picture the cover because of my video store days. and um, And I remember at the time being like, that 's an answer I may disagree with almost anything Al Gore says, but that 's an answer <laughs> At, like it 's a movie that very few people have have seen, but if but it clearly had an impact on you, and good for you, Al Gore, giving a really honest answer as opposed to saying something like well i don 't know forrest Gump's pretty good or Shawshank <laughs> Redemption Shawshank or something Redemption.
2: like that yeah. Casablanca.
0: Das uh-huh. Blanc is really great, but at the same and time, so
1: is gets- Shawshank Redemption. I think. Yeah, forthcoming. That's
2: so uh, well. Did you guys? Are you not,
1: yo, I want to hear you, uh, <laughs> uh, Bad mouth Shawshank Redemption.
2: Oh, uh, that that can be heard. But like, had, <laughs> have you guys um, seen I either forget if it's called London Town or London Road? Because there's two movies coming out with the same basic name at the same time.
1: Uh, no, I haven't seen either one um London. are you talking about the one where uh that's the verbatim musical or the one where uh Jonathan Reese meyers plays uh, um,
2: Joe Strummer, Strummer? yeah, yeah I not didn't the see Joe the Strummer one. one one of those is London Town maybe that's Joe Strummer one of them is London is. Road I don't know whatever the one is that's not the one about Joe Strummer the musical with Tom Hardy uh and Olivia Coleman who I absolutely love who's in the lobster that's another like village coming together in England Because there's a murder on their street, and it's based on a true story, and it's all taken verbatim from the neighbors. Hmm. But there's a murder on their street, and they're all sort of talking about, like, how do you deal with it? We didn't know what's going on. Who is the murderer? And then at the end, their solution is they just all come together and have a big street festival and repaint all their houses. And it's so ineffectual, and the movie kind of realizes it's ineffectual, but it's really charming.
1: Uh, Yeah, I want to see that. uh, Yeah, no,
2: I really, that was a movie, I think it came out. When I was maybe in Toronto or maybe, maybe like a couple weeks before, but I wasn't in town. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm so upset I didn't get to review this because it's fantastic. Well, now
1: it's here you are on yeah. Battleship Retention telling, what,
0: a couple thousand people? A few thousand. A few, <laughs> a thousand, few people. thousand people. To I had to squeeze this. it in. I it Ineffectual I yet charming. That is the essence of the village movie. Um, because there, I, I don't think of any of them that would like stick with me. They're perfectly pleasant I, I was able to name movies. a bunch of them. So. Yeah, I remember them, but I don't think about them unless I'm thinking about the subgenre.
2: What about the one where all the coal miners come together to combat hom- homophobia? Pride.
0: Pride. Pride. Oh, Pride. Not to be right.
1: confused with the Terrence Howard starring movie. Uh, Pride, the uh, black high school swim team movie. Terrence Howard, Bernie Mac.
0: Uh, oh, Bernie Mac.
1: Is not that movie. I, I saw that one in the theater because I worked at the Arclight <laughs> and I could get in for free. <laughs>
0: that's right. That was in that. Uh, three months
1: that I worked at the Arclight and I worked at the Arclight like february march and april like the traditionally like worst months yeah. for movies um so yeah i saw pride for free i saw the last mimsy i saw starter for 10
4: the <laughs> last mimsy i have not i don't i've never thought of the last mimsy yeah, <laughs> it
0: since it came out yeah <laughs> oh. well they might have recalled it not not because it's bad or anything <laughs> but just because like eh. I think it got a VHS release, and, uh, and they thought like we don't we don't need to put this on DVD or Blu-ray or anything like that. There's nothing requiring that because I saw it. Uh, at Your recommendation, I believe.
1: No, I don't think so. It couldn't have been
0: because <laughs> I think just think I liked it. I think you said like so like uh, something to the effect of, "Oh, it's not bad." Did I say it perfectly was perfectly fine? What was that? Perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. Ineffectual but charming. Yeah, I think uh. <laughs> that is actually that does work really well for the last Memzi. Um so, I, okay. So, I had a, a a question, and this is for the table, but it is a a function of your podcast, Amy, the canon. All right. Where I
2: did bitch about Shawshank Redemption for a while.
0: Okay, and so I was going to I was going to throw this out there. So, you know, the nature of that show is to go through movies that are accepted as amazing, and just kind of trying to look at it through new eyes and, and look at it fresh and that sort of thing. Um and see if it actually holds up. And I was curious, now, David, I already know how you operate. Uh, you know, it's been 500 episodes. You're not throwing any curveballs my way. Uh, but the other two, you know, the real the real critics, yes. uh, not the full professional uh, critics. Yeah. <laughs> um, All the way professional. So not merely are there any movies that, you know, in, in the, the canon that you just, for whatever reason, do not respond to, but then also... Do you ever find yourself uh either accused of or you're you're worried that you could be labeled a contrarian uh either for that or in general Cause, and I know that Amy often not often but sometimes like you will have an opinion that runs counter to to other people's uh but just in general do you guys ever worry about that contrarian label
4: Um, um I worry about the opposite Okay, I sure. worry about being called a, a booster. And mm-hmm. I think it's because I come out of again, out of TV, where like if one thing in a show is good, you're gonna cling to that because mm-hmm. you may have to end up watching seven seasons of it. So like you may you may be like, okay, this one actor's good, so I'm gonna give it a slightly higher grade than it deserves, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also TV criticism is just like Always, and I think I said this the last time I was on your show, is like always holding out the hope that, like, the episode of Two Broke Girls that's airing that you're not watching could be the greatest episode of television ever made. And, like, it's so weighted toward optimism and toward um, being kind of a booster in some ways that it becomes very hard to. Uh, you know, when I, when I started moving into film criticism, like it's easier in some ways to provide a definitive answer on whether a movie is good because you know, the full story, whatever, but it is very hard for me to be like, okay, uh, I liked this one thing, but the rest of it was kind of bad. Um, and and not like overweight a little bit for that one thing I liked. Um, so yeah, I do sometimes worry that I'm a little bit too forgiving in some Hmm. ways.
1: Like, if, say, there was one moment in My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 that made you laugh, you might uh
4: <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I think that I gave My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 at least, we have a five-star scale, at least two and a half, if not three, entirely because the I thought the end of the movie was kind of charming, when they were like all... Dancing at the wedding and I was like, at least they're not fighting, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It just was like so relieved to have that, you know? you just have a, you just had an argument with your wife that day and you're like, you know what? I can get behind this. Everyone's happy. That's but at, at the I same like. time, I thought like the audience for this movie is my mom and my mom's going to like this. Yeah. And she did. So. Yeah. Um, it seems so
2: hard to be a TV critic. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> it's uh,
4: it's it's weird, and it's like um, it's weird because you're sort of beset on all sides. Certainly with like uh, simultaneously the fans of the show, but then also the people who are like this show has lost it, and like you always have to kind of be navigating your personal expectations for the show versus what the what the people making the show want to do and it's a lot easier to do that with a movie because you get to the end of the movie and you can be like okay i see what the director was trying to say here i may not think it was executed well etc but like when you're in the middle of a season of television where things could go drastically wrong or could go very well like um like is happening with you're the worst right now which is one of my favorite shows but like Right now is kind of in this weird state where you're like, this could all fall apart at any time, and like you, you always kind of have to hope that it won't, and and that's a that's an alien way for a lot of people to feel.
2: I love that you mentioned you're the worst because I think that's the only TV show I watch, and I love that show so much. But Mm -hmm. it's there's a lot of misdirection in it. I was thinking about it before you even said its name, how it can start like it's seeming to be about one thing, and then it veers and it becomes about a different thing entirely. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I can imagine like if you're a reviewer reviewing like episodes. One and two of, like, season two, you don't know where it's going, and it's absolutely going to surprise you. And that would seem really hard, because I Mm -hmm. always worry about getting it right. Mm -hmm. And you're right. When you review a film, you have all the material in front of you to know what it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But people want to know whether or not they should be watching you are the worst at the beginning of the season when it's still moving. And that seems really tough.
4: The stakes are also lower for TV in some ways. If I recommend a pilot of something and people don't like it, you know, they didn't pay. Mm. Sixteen dollars, like you were saying earlier, I have not yet adjusted to that thing where not everybody is going to be able to have the expendable income to see a movie every weekend like I do, you know like one I haven't caught up with, so uh, I haven't quite adjusted to that because in t v that question is is largely moot if you have the cable package, you have the expendable income, you know so okay, uh
0: we'll come back to the contrarian question. Well, I want to address
1: that question just real quickly, okay. which is, I think that, uh, being contrarian isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think the no. world needs contrarians.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, okay. We'll come back to it for a moment. I actually wanted to talk about, uh, the t- being a TV critic. Not that I am one, but my wife and I host a podcast about survivor, uh, mm, okay. cause I love it so much. Um, and it doesn't have a huge listenership. We basically just do it as a fun thing that we can do. Um, And as of the day of recording, our most recent episode, we just have a loose flowing conversation like we always do. And somebody commented and, you know, they said it was a very disorganized conversation, which is fine. Like, that's what it's meant to be. And so that's not for everybody. Um, But the person also mentioned, like, and said something to the effect of, you know, how about some warning before you throw, you know, give out those spoilers, I remember thinking, like, why are you listening to this? <laughs> it, first off, it's about Survivor, which admittedly is different than a scripted show. But, like, why would you listen to this if you're concerned about spoilers? I assume that you've seen the episode. Which then leads to um, a, a question that I had for, for you. Because especially in the world of TV, there seems to be a lot more emphasis on recaps. than reviews. And I don't think I even really understand what recaps
4: are or what the point of them is. There's So certainly there are two different kinds of recaps. You have the people who just write, here's what happened in the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are enormously popular, which is very strange to me. But you also have people who write, Here's what happened in the episode, but also analysis of like where the episode yeah. fits in the overall show, blah, blah, blah. Like That's sort of what I used to do at A.B. Club. And if we yeah. do do recaps at Vox, that's that's what we aim for. But, yeah, it's it's a weird world where people want to follow shows but don't necessarily want to watch them. So there's a big audience for – especially if you can have like some humor or some snark, mm-hmm. so, so-called snark in there. Um, there is this big audience for people who just want to read this is what happened. Um, but you bring up spoilers – And like that is one area where I am a contrarian because I believe that spoilers should not matter. I think that people should not care about spoilers at all. And whenever people are yelling at me about spoilers, like I begrudgingly acknowledge their point of view, but no. They're wrong, and I'm uh, right.
1: I uh, I, have, I have yet to watch uh, This Is Us, but the first thing I did the morning after it aired was go online and find out what the big <laughs> twist was because everyone was talking about it. and I was like, well, I need to know.
4: Yeah, uh, I, just, I love spoiling myself on stuff. Like I I mean I well I used to. Now I see stuff early enough. It's very hard to do. So, yeah. but yeah, like when I was a kid, I would read the last page of the book because I am so <laughs> interested in narrative construction and like how we're going to get from here to there that like I think. Uh, There was a study that a lot of people have sort of taken issue with that said that, you know, knowing the end sometimes uh, helps you like a story better. And like I was watching a romantic comedy trailer from like the 90s. I don't remember which one it was, but there was like a twist as to who ended up together. And they showed the kiss between those people from the end of the movie in the trailer. Uh, and like similarly, somebody pointed out that in 1976, before Star Wars came out, like literally, the New York Times laid out the entire plot of that movie in one of their articles about the production of Star Wars. Like, hmm. the shift to really worrying about spoilers is essentially an invention of the internet. And yeah. like, we didn't care about this until 20 years ago, and that's me being generous. Yeah, it's a
0: term that I did not hear until probably 10 years ago, mm-hmm. if not. Sooner,
1: I remember, I'm remembering now, uh, that it, when we were talking about starting battleship pretension, that was one of the, uh, name of the, before you settled on the brilliant, uh, pun battleship pretension. Um, one of the names we were banning about was just calling the show That's spoilers right. because the idea was that we were going to be like these TV recap and analysis things. We were going to be talking
0: about movies, um, not necessarily, uh, yeah, reviewing as, them before people had seen yeah. them and being as open as you yeah. want to be. and, you know, on my other show, we talk about movies artistically, but also thematically. And it's like, okay, well, if we're going to talk thematically, we're going to have to talk about the whole movie. And uh, and we're always a little iffy about like, okay, well, some of these are movies that people can't really see. Some of them are smaller and haven't come out uh, on Blu-ray and didn't come to every part of the country. And, and so, like, what do we do? And we threw it out to listeners. And there are people that listen to the show, and they'll listen about movies they haven't seen and I just think like not only is it a situation where you're spoiling this for yourself, but also you have literally no connection to this thing or what we're saying about it. Uh, I just don't, I, you know, no offense to those listeners. I'm happy (laughs) to have them. But at the same time, like I just don't understand why they would do it. But I guess uh, there's just uh, the, I I guess it, maybe it falls into that idea of like the people that want to follow shows or follow movies without actually following them or without actually watching them, which is astonishing to me. Um, back to cr- contrarianism.
2: Well, I think they Sorry. tie it together. Okay. <clears throat> because, to me, part of what makes me stick up for a movie like Warcraft, even if it makes you seem like a contrarian, is that I do think, and maybe it's just because we're so steeped in the world of, of film Twitter, but I do think conversations tend to solidify around a movie before people even see it sometimes mm. in a way that feels really unfair to me. Yeah. And I think they solidify that Warcraft is going to be garbage, that Nine Lives is going to be garbage, Gods of Egypt was going to be garbage. And then when you see these movies and you feel like they didn't get a fair shake, it makes me you know, really want to stick up for something because the buzz has been so loud and so predetermined and I think so unfair. Mm -hmm. Because I think when that gets established in critics' minds sometimes, I feel like you do see critics go into a movie like Nine Lives being like, everybody's going to hate this. I'm just going to go and hate it and I'm going to write the cattiest, meanest, snarkiest, pun-filled review and just like... Oh God! Now I'm doing it. I'm like sharpening my claws on it. You know, or,
3: uh, you
2: know, it's gonna be catnip for me. But they're just gonna go in and just have fun and kind of showboat a little bit because they feel like it's safe because nobody else likes it, so they don't have to take it seriously. Yeah. And I don't think that's fair because I think you see a movie, you say for the credits, you see the 500 names of people who like spent months of their lives, years of their lives, in the case of the producers, trying to get this thing off the ground. And it's like, these people deserve, you know, your two hours of open-mindedness. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I feel like that looks like contrarianism, but for me, it's just, like, really trying to stick up for effort. And yeah, then when I, I feel like it gets dismissed. I'm,
3: I'm
1: especially all for that, that kind of, like, positive contrarianism, mm-hmm. um, but I like the other
4: kind, too. I want to ask you if you find it easier to write a review for a movie you loved or a movie you hated.
2: Oh, that's tough. I do think the hardest type of thing to review is a really good comedy mm-hmm. because... Mm-hmm. There's not that many words for funny is one thing. You know like I feel and I think about this all the time. Like most of the words we have that are synonyms for funny are overblown like mirthful
3: or yes. even hilarious is
2: tough to use more than once. Mm-hmm. We don't have a, a good vocabulary for funny. We don't have like jocular. Like nobody uses these words in real life. We just have funny. And you also think that especially for comedy I think a lot of the enjoyment of it comes from the surprise of a punchline. And you don't know how to sell people on that without giving away the punchline, so you just write it was funny a bunch of times, and you can't really prove it, right. yeah. and that's so tough. Like I, as much as I love a good comedy, like I hate reviewing them. Mm.
1: Um, can I? I don't know. I know that question was for Amy. I don't know if it's okay if I answer. Uh, sure. About I, I think a movie that I hated is easier to write the review of, but I'm more excited to write the review for a movie that I loved, even if sometimes like I really, I can't wait to. See certain women again and review it again because i my sundance review i don't think I've captured how much I love the movie and i'm like and because that's that's the that's a challenge i think to to get across how much you uh you loved the movie um and seriously, certain women is
0: one of the best movies i've seen all year um, well, i I think the easy the the hardest of uh, is is a movie that you feel just kind of ambivalent about like it can oh, right. be It can be difficult to write about a movie that you love because it's it 's for the same reason that it 's hard for me to describe why why I love my wife, but I can very easily talk about the problems we have just because <laughs> you you can i feel like one is more intellectual and one is more uh, emotional and it 's harder to to uh verbalize uh, emotions and the movies I love tend to strike me on an emotional level, whereas the movies I dislike the emotion comes, it's usually anger, but it starts intellectually. Like it's, it's insulting to me intellectually. Whereas just the movies in the middle, like the, like on a five star rating, like a two and a half star, maybe even a three star review. It's like, ah, shit. I don't know. I guess it's like, I got to write how many hundred words about this? Cause it's like, how can I just, can I just record me, me going, the. Because that's all I have, really, for those movies. Yeah,
2: those are the movies I think I dread reviewing the most. Mm. The mediocre. You're not doing or saying much of anything. it's yeah. you're not great, but it's hard to like kick you. You know. Yeah, I tend to put off writing those as long as possible, and then I usually wind up liking those reviews more because mm. in trying to figure out something to write about, like I'll wind up doing an insane amount of research to figure out anything interesting to say, and then. The effort it takes to make those reviews good. Yeah. All right. Like there was was terrible tennis comedy the other day. It was, it was maybe a year ago, and like nobody remembers it. I don't remember the name even. But it was just about it was like, a these, tennis comedy. A tennis comedy. It, it was, was like, from
1: the subgenre of tennis comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alongside Wimbledon. <laughs> it was
2: like a bro tennis comedy, like two bros who play tennis. Wait, wasn't that
1: HBO thing? Maybe was Andy Sandberg and. Uh, the Game of no, guy? it came
2: out, I think, right at the same time. There were two okay. of them at the same time. Okay. And I got assigned to do the one that, like, I think came into theaters. And it was, a, it was such a nothing that I, like, out of desperation started researching the history of tennis.
3: Uh-huh. And I
2: found out about this guy who, like, died from alcoholism and over tennis. Like, one of the first kings of France was a really big tennis player. And I was like, I'm just going to write about that because <laughs> there's nothing in this movie to write about. So here's my gigantic lead about the history of drunk tennis
1: oh wow you have inspired me I'm going to start I'm, I'm, I'm going to bite your style and
0: start doing that more I have found that those you know when you're struggling to find uh, an angle for lack of a better word I find that it does stretch me as as a writer and usually yeah the lead paragraph is usually really creative and really outlandish and then it becomes a more standard review uh, and I have to assume the reader's like wow this is really interesting oh never mind um,
1: I, uh, I, re- I I find that a challenge. Um, again, I feel weird talking to two professional critics about my challenges in writing uh, reviews uh, in my lunch breaks and on evenings and weekends. But, um, That's a challenge.
2: <laughs> that sounds hard. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but we also do Blu-ray reviews. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I'm tasked with writing a review of a movie that everyone loves and everyone knows is a classic movie. Like, and I sort of recently had that problem of like, how do I find something new to say about Brief Encounter? Brief Encounter I think is one of the greatest movies yeah. of all time. Um, I feel like I'm being really uh, uh, over praising a lot of movies uh, on this episode, but positive. Anyway, it's my um, presence.
4: It's just like <laughs> over inflating everybody's <laughs> opinions of everything.
1: So. Um, But, yeah, so I had to write about Brief Encounter and I ended up writing about porn in Brief Encounter because I ended up writing about the idea of, like, uh, sex out of the context of a story or a relationship in Brief Encounter being the opposite. It's all story and relationship that's never consummated. And so Mm -hmm. I I, I felt kind of proud of myself that I found a way to compare
0: Brief Encounter to pornography. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I had to... Write about the Scream Factory Blu ray release of The Thing. And uh, I did not expect to be talking about Syrian refugees at the end, <laughs> but I did, uh, much to my surprise. And I actually found myself not necessarily proud, but um, and talking about the, the like, the conversation around here and refugees not refugees themselves and they're ob- obviously they're going to take us over and mimic us and that sort of thing. I we've all seen the thing. Um oh wait no David has not. I That's I right. Think we just that. had this conversation. I know, right? I'm sorry. Um so yeah, so I don't mean to say I'm, I I approach it from a xenophobic uh, uh element, but the idea of like You're oh who do we treat
2: all refugees like dogs? You're a terrible person.
0: Not like dogs. <laughs> I love dogs. Uh no, it's uh, but this idea of of like who do we trust, and uh, it's like uh, uh, I wish I wish they, I wish terrorists wore uniforms, you know, <laughs> so that we could know uh, for sure. And they're in a crazy minority, and like and these are the things that I that I was thinking about, not as I was watching the thing, but as I, as I was struggling to find something to write about the thing, and came away thinking, and it came away with actually a deeper appreciation for the film because it because so many other people. Have written about it. That it's just like, all right, I got to find a new angle that I actually believe. That I can come up with plenty of angles I don't believe, but I need to actually have conviction about this.
1: Let me ask. We should have an eye towards wrapping up at this point, um, but I want to ask another question to to you guys that uh, Tyler just made me think of. You know, we get when you're reviewing a movie the the idea generally is that people are going to see it around the time the movie comes out. You know, I guess the utility is. To, to read a review to decide whether or not to go see a movie that's a whole other conversation if that's actually how people re- write, read reviews but let's say that's the idea um but then you also get you know when once someone has been uh you know a, a, a film critic for a long time like you're you know your uh, roger eberts and pauline kales or whatever you get published collections of reviews do you do you ever when writing a review think about the time that someone is going to be reading this, do you worry about being too like making references to, you know, the Syrian refugee crisis or something? Or do you think about, um, what if someone rents this movie eight years from now and reads my review after, do you keep that in mind while you're writing reviews?
4: Um, not really, but I probably should more. Um, so by, by far some of the most, the stuff that people talk to me the most online about is uh, I reviewed all of the sopranos episode by episode for the AV Club when I worked there, and I still get people who like write to me and are like, you know, I've just read your sopranos reviews like I just wrote them and I have wrote them you know five years ago at this mm-hmm. point, but yeah, like I probably should keep an eye on that, but at the same time when I'm reviewing um, something really ephemeral, it's very hard to remember that maybe. You know, 15 years from now, people will be reading my review of My Big Fat Greek Wedding too.
0: <laughs> there are a surprising number of references in those Sopranos uh, reviews to uh, Rick Santorum. It's
1: yeah. very strange to me. <laughs> any, yes. any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah,
2: portion? I think about that a lot, actually. Because to me, that's the goal with writing criticism For, uh, um, from my standpoint. Because I think I've talked about this on earlier episodes with you guys that I came into it as like an anthropology major. And, like, and a history minor um, who also majored in, in film studies. And I loved reading old reviews as a way of just even trying to understand what life was like back then. Uh-huh. And so I'm aware I do it too much. Like I got another Trump junk. I got another Trump joke into my uh, Deepwater Horizon review this week because you see Trump parallels in every movie now. It's crazy. Like, everybody is Trump, and you're like, what's happening? Yeah,
1: I just, in my review of the um, new uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1978 Blu-ray, I I advocated for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump.
3: Yeah, Yeah. It's,
2: it's everywhere when you think about it. But I think that there's, like, at some points I'm definitely, like, Maybe exaggerating what the movie intended, but I also do think there is like a subconscious layer of like what's happening in the world when these things are made, and of course it's overblown in that it takes three years to get like a script say into a film, and so nobody thought Trump was going to be this close to being the president in twenty thirteen or if they did, they're lunatics um and right
0: and apparently hard and we workers listen to them, I guess
2: but. But yeah, I feel like there's something in the cultural timber that does sort of resonate in movies because they're trying to think about what are the stories people want to hear, what are the villains we want to see, what's happening. And even if these things don't have names yet, I feel like these kind of angers and emotions are in the country and they're kind of shifting and then they bubble up in the form of a Trump, but they're there all the time anyways.
0: Well, and and when you think of, you know, partially this is uh, because of some of the classes that I'm taking right now, but just the, the role of criticism and the role of academia in talking about film and about art in general is that, like, you know, you people don't see movies in a vacuum. People don't write about movies in a vacuum. Movies aren't made in a vacuum. It's always going to reflect culture up to that point and the culture that you're living in right now. And so, you know, why is it that, like, a film critic... Uh, sorry, a, a, a filmmaker can make a movie with certain parallels. Uh, a film watcher can watch it and recognize certain parallels. I don't think there's anything wrong with critics thinking in those terms as well. Like, you know, why should we have to be objective and or, or evergreen or something like that? Yeah.
2: And to bring it back around to the start of the conversation, not the cat part, but like the original blockbuster part, what has become really fascinating to me is the rise of blockbuster action movies Based on true stories of things that happened in the last like ten years, you know these docbusters where they're like, "Did you want to know about Benghazi?" or "Did you want to know about that mm-hmm. one like guy in Afghanistan who shot a bunch of people?" or "Did you want to know about Soli? or "Did you want to know about Deepwater Horizon?" Yeah. Here yeah. it is. It's going to have Mark Wahlberg. There's going to be explosions, and we're going to tell you what the headlines were, and we're probably going to make most of it up, but it's going to be cool, and you're going to feel like you learned something. Like that's really interesting because what is? I think those are saying so much about our culture right now. They're talking to the need for people to have heroes that they think are real yeah. people f- among us. And, it, you know, there's something to be said in the fact that these movies are all about heroes who are white men and their bosses are dumb and don't appreciate them and the people <laughs> in power think they're stupid and they're going to prove that they're right. Like, all of these movies have that. Yeah. And these movies are making millions of dollars. These movies are huge blockbusters. These movies are really strangely popular. And I think there's something in there I want to f- unpack.
0: And it's interesting, Sully actually becomes almost a little bit meta because Sully talks about the narrative that people so badly need, which then came to inform movies like Sully. Um, and uh, it's, the more I think about Sully, the more I like it. Uh, it's a film that when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's pretty good. But then I just keep thinking, like certain scenes and certain ideas just uh, stay in my head. And, uh, and I wasn't expecting to be thinking about Sully this much.
1: Well, Tyler, Amy brought us full circle. Cats and I think after 500 episodes, you'd be willing to recognize that and uh, realize it's time to put a button <laughs> on the episode. What's up? What are I you talking about? about? I
4: haven't talked about all of my cats yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that now like great length. <laughs> um, Amy and Todd,
1: thank you so much for helping us celebrate 500 episodes. Congratulations!
2: That is a staggering number. The canon is no, not even to 100 yet. And the idea of you guys getting to five hundred, like I, I feel like I've aged so much, <laughs> I can't even imagine.
1: Um, thank you. I, I I do feel weird when people say congratulations on five hundred episodes because all it means is that we just didn't stop doing yeah, it. Uh, like, uh, no, when, no.
4: I, when I first started listening to podcasts, yours was one of the ones that, and this is before like my critical career, anything of that. Like mm-hmm. yours was one of the ones I first downloaded. It was one of the inspirations for when my wife and I did a podcast that only made a hundred episodes over like five years. So. <laughs> Very impressive. Thank you. Oh, thank Thank you you. very much. That's nice. Um, Where can people find you guys? Uh, You can find me at vox.com slash culture if you don't want to read about messy politics and news and things like that. Um, But also you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash TVOTI.
2: And you can find me at MTV News or on Twitter at the Amy Nicholson. And yeah, I have the podcast The Canon. And I think around the time this comes out, we're going to be starting fairly soon the second season of my MTV podcast, Skillset. Which is the it's the nerdiest look at inside of my brain. It's basically like we interview people who are experts in in things related to a movie. So we have people who work behind the scenes on things like coming up. We have like the person who did all the '90s costumes and can't hardly wait. But then we also have like a real life witch talking about the craft. Oh, because our new season is all about high school movies, oh. so it's very very nerdy and I love it a lot.
1: All right, Uh, people are. You already know where you can find us, Battleship Retention, all that, Twitter, and all that. This is the fourth episode we've done this week. You don't need to hear it all. Stay
0: tuned tomorrow. There's one more tomorrow.
1: There's one more tomorrow. Um, Yeah. So uh, again, thank you to Todd and Amy. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye.
0: Bye.